The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, quit blending your interface and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 454 with guest Rory Blythe, recorded live Monday, June 1st, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now, offering .NET Nuke video training with Chris Hammond from Engage Software on DVD, DNRTV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says, change is inevitable. Except from a vending machine. Carl Franklin! Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're at DevTeach in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, Richard's hometown. Yes, uh, glad you're here. You know, we have been looking at the logs and been looking at the stats, and we're trying to wonder why there's a whole bunch of downloads that uh, don't complete, and we're wondering if there's bandwidth problems in other countries other than the United States. Canada doesn't seem to have a problem, too. So it's a shout-out to our listeners. If you listen to us from a a non-U.S. or Canadian country, and you're having either slow downloads or downloads that never seem to finish, and you really want to uh, experience faster downloads, send us an email. Send me email, carl at franklins.net. I really want to know uh, what your what your uh, what your speed is like and what your experience is like. And what we're trying to figure out here is would it make sense for us to start positioning download servers closer to you? Right, it would really make that much of a difference. Right. So you can help us out by sending us your feedback. Also, Richard, sure. We're still they're still looking for talented developers down in New York. Ah, Infusion. At Infusion, yep. They've hired a few people in their London office, their Dubai office, their Toronto office, and in New York. So uh .NET is still going strong even though it's a downturn. If you've got talent, there are people out there who are willing to pay good money for you. So if you're interested in that, send me an email, Carl at Franklins.net. 
And hey, we're not going to read any email on the show today, but we do read all the emails you send. So if you've got questions, concerns, ideas for shows, things you'd like to see, things you'd like us to do better, send us all an email, .net rocks at franklins.net. Oh, and here's another thing that I want some feedback on. This is like the feedback intro. Yeah. Uh, I've been thinking about doing some workshops at uh, at either at the studio, at Pop Studios, or maybe online, or maybe uh, associated with a conference like mm-hmm. DevTeach or DevConnections or TechEd, where I do the whole rundown about media. And what I mean by that is what it takes to get good-sounding audio and good-looking video online. And I don't mean, you know, purchasing it. I mean creating it. Right. So if that is something that you're interested in, and that covers you know a whole host of things like microphones and and preamps and software and practices and you know compression and all of those crazy things, because let's face it, you know the the stores that sell this stuff they're not working in your best interest. They're trying to sell you stuff that you may or may not need. Right. So there's a whole lot of misinformation out there about this stuff. And, uh, you know, I think I have uh, some experience in that area and would uh, be able to share. If that's something you'd like to see, also send me, uh, send me an email, carlfranklins.net. That's about all I got, Richard. What do you, uh, what do you feel like talking about? Hey, I'm about? just glad you're in my town, man. Yeah, it's and, been fun. And next week, Norway. The ribs were amazing, dude. Thank you. We yeah. said, I spent all day cooking those for you. And you're doing like a podcast, a barbecue podcast or something? Yeah, we're dabbling with it. So the one Canadian in the whole world that actually won a U.S. barbecue championship, a guy named Ronnie Shuchuk, is a friend of mine. And he asked me to help him out making a barbecue podcast. So we shot a couple of pilots, and we're going to start putting them together and see what people think. So we came to your house, and you did a, a sort of and a we, face-to-face. We did a recording. That's, That's right. That's cool. And and just, you know, it was very easy to chat with him about doing barbecue. <laughs> that ought to be fun. Yeah. So maybe I'll edit one of those for you, and we'll put it up and see if people like it. See what people think. All right. Now let's get to our previously recorded interview. Now let's get to our previously recorded interview. And uh, now it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Show's 50 through 100 guy. Nice. That's uh, Rory Blythe. On his John Deere at Neapolian.com, writing iPhone apps. Hey, Rory. Hi. Rory Blythe. <laughs> How the hell are you, man? Good. What the, everybody wants to know, what the hell happened to Rory? Where has he been? I explained to you, before this started, I got frozen in carbonite and ah. disappeared for a while. Hung on the wall of a big, huge, weird alien in his little music chamber. I was thawed <laughs> by a beautiful woman, and when I woke up... You had done like 600 new shows of your show, and <laughs> the world was different. And well, actually, okay, like that's a lie. I went out on like this sort of hippie, soul-searching, stupid quest to understand myself and people, and it was it was a big waste of time. Oh. And uh, well, I mean, it was a big disturbing waste of time. <laughs> and then and then I got bored, and uh, uh, and now and that's really like the condensed version because it's been like I think two almost two and a half years since I've really done anything. Uh, in tech that anybody knows about that I've talked about. Yeah, I mean, you've been writing on your blog, but we haven't. We nobody really knew where you were working or anything. Well, I haven't been, even been writing that much because I was in this uh, relationship that was like, I don't want to call it like an extra full-time job since I didn't have a full-time job, but it was like an extra, it was just a big, horrible, stupid thing that was taking up a lot of time in my life. And, ah. and I gave up things that I really loved, like writing and food and whatever, just to try to make that thing work and happen. And that's another big, dumb, stupid thing. Introspection and 
relationships, both big, stupid waste of time. Big, stupid waste of time. Yeah. And when I wasn't doing that, um, I actually, uh, can I, can I, can I tell you a quick story? Can yeah. I do that? Is yeah, that okay? Please. Um, can I, should I get Richard's permission? Richard, can I do that? Oh dude, go for it. <laughs> I want to check with everybody. Okay. Okay. Well, please, so, man, please. So, so well, if you'd stop talking. Yeah. So here's what happened. Here's what happened. Okay. Maybe six or seven or eight or nine months ago, it was something like that in that neighborhood. It was months. I was mm-hmm. sitting on my sofa and I was reading one of these Macintosh magazines. They're all, you know, it's like about Mac stuff, like Apple this, everything's like I this and I that, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of, I kind of hate these things, but I was reading them. And, you know, I didn't have an iPhone because I still love Windows Mobile and I was a big Windows Mobile guy. That was one of my things when I was at Microsoft. I love Windows Mobile. And all the same, there was a guy, uh, Larry Larson, who heads up on 10, Channel 10, one of the sister channels of Channel 9. And yeah. he brought an iPod Touch into the office uh, like shortly before I left the company. And it was the first time I'd ever seen anything like it. And I kind of flipped out, right? Mm-hmm. So I kept my eye on this stuff. But I didn't want an iPod Touch. I wanted, I wanted a phone, right? I don't want to carry a phone and a pod this or whatever. I just want a phone. Yeah. Finally, the iPhone comes up. And I'm not ready to switch because there's just nothing all that compelling about it. But... You know me and like my kind of weird appetites for like curly things like clothing and fragrances and, uh, you know, like eyeshadow dresses, whatever. Is that, uh, I mean, I, li- I, I lived with you for a while. You, <laughs> you, you got to see, you know, you got to see uh, the, the dark side of Roy Blythe living his private life in your office for several weeks. Yeah. And, uh, um, and for anybody who doesn't remember, that's when I moved out to Connecticut and I was actually living in Carl's office yeah. uh, where he's probably sitting right now. No, no, no. That futon is long gone, my friend. Well, I would have gotten rid of it after I left, too. <laughs> we threw it off the fire escape one night, 3 o'clock in the morning, along with several other pieces of furniture to watch it explode because it was easier than taking it down the stairs. So. That's awesome. Um, but, yeah, so I, I, I'm looking through this Macintosh magazine, and I come across this app, and it's called it, it's Style.com, and it's for the iPhone. And this is, like, for me, the killer app that makes you want an iPhone. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, oh my God, like I can go and I can, I can look at fashion shows and I can look at fashion photographs and I can read like fashion blog stuff wherever I am, you know, any time of day or night, wherever, in the middle of nowhere while I'm waiting for the bus. I didn't ride the bus yet, but I was going to start riding the bus so I could start using it at the bus stop and feel awesome about that. But I didn't have an iPhone. I wasn't quite there. So there's this other guy, right? Jeff Hardison. And you probably never met him, but... He's the one who got me into the New York Times back in 2003, like right before I did the, my first show with you. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and that was back when he was representing Amazon and their web services initiative stuff. And uh, I kept in touch with him. And he told me, like, he's got a good idea of what I like. And he said, hey, there's these guys you got to meet, uh, Spotlight Mobile. That's the name of the company. Okay. Like, they're into this mobile stuff. They're doing Windows Mobile. They're doing iPhone development. And I just think you'd really, really like them. So... I do something that I've never done before in my life, and I ask for an introduction, right? Like, normally I would want somebody to extend an introduction or else I'd feel, you know, like they don't really want me. But so, so I asked for one, and I got it. And I met up with these guys, the two founders, Kyo Kubo and uh, Nick Farina, both of whom graduated from Cornell, where they did a lot of work in the human-computer interaction lab, which is like where you figure out just exactly how to lay things out in an app in such mm-hmm. a way that people never need a manual or have to think about anything. Mm-hmm. Like the first time they got in my car, they redesigned the dashboard in five seconds. Like that was the first thing I did. Huh. And I left feeling really insecure about my car. But <laughs> they're very good at what they do, right? And mm-hmm. we're talking, and we get about a half hour into it, and they say, uh, 
So have you seen like our, our style app and, and it doesn't even click for me. I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I was thinking this sounds like some stupid code name for some internal like theming app or something dumb. Right. And, and I was expecting like something dumb, even though they're really smart. I was like, come on, dude, you know, like style or whatever. And they're like, no style, style.com. And my, do you remember how I looked when I found you and Mark on top of that hotel at the party? I crashed with Scott Hanselman. Yeah, kind of like, who are you? When I, when I was kind of speechless and like, holy, you know, can I say the SH word on the show now? Yeah, sure. Are you, are you sure? Yeah. I'm not going to do it now. I was just checking. I mean, <laughs> I might do it later, but you know, and, and I was like, I was like, holy muffins, you know, it's you guys. And, uh, and when I found out, for example, that you, I mean, you were the Don Rocks guy, like standing right in front of me. I don't know if you remember, I was almost going to reach out and yeah, you twist were, your nipples to adjust the volume. You were uh, giddy. I was giddy and I was the same way with this. And I knew then that like I had to work here. So I went home and I wrote like this 45 page document called Hire Rory Blythe. And I don't know if they read it. I think they kind of gave up in the face of it. And we're just like, okay, you know, let's get this guy off our back by hiring him. Mm-hmm. Right. So they hire me and they, uh, that must've been back in October, November. And you know, I get my iPhone, I get access to the entire style.com code base. Like if I wanted to right then I could have replaced every photo with me. Right. <laughs> and, and this app has gone out to hundreds of thousands of users, you know, like that kind of excitement and power and potential for, um, and actually they're listening right now. I should not say all this stuff, but, uh, you know, if somebody were very bad and wanted to do that, they could, you know, a really bad person would do that, not me. Mm. But, uh, but so it was kind of like meeting you and it was kind of like getting to take part in Donut Rocks. There was this amazing thing that I had really fallen for and now I'm here and I get to be a part of it, which is just nuts. So they set me up with, uh, with my space here and just let me get going on an iPhone development. And I think that's kind of, Richard, what you wrote to me about in the email, like what do Windows mobile developers need to know if they want to do iPhone development, right? Yeah, I'm dying to know. Well, <laughs> Really? <laughs> that um, that was yeah. That was like that was like uh, a SpongeBob was, laugh. What was that? <laughs> uh, that was that was like a mixture of pain and happiness and joy and suffering. So that's kind uh, of the experience of iPhone development—a mixture of pain and happiness. Oh my God! You have no idea. You mean okay. lots of pain? Yeah. Well, you look at Apple. You look at what they do, and they make incredible stuff, right? They make incredible software, hardware, everything. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful, and you wonder why isn't there more of it? Like why, why do so few people, and this is the thing back in the day, a few years ago, yeah, I want to, I want an Apple, but nobody writes software for them. Right. And why? Well, I figured this out. Okay. Um, we are so spoiled in Microsoft land. Visual I mean, studio. Yeah. Oh my God. Not just visual studio. Dude, VB six <laughs> was spoiling us in terms of like what you have to do, uh, to, to make Apple stuff happen. Wow. Um, when was the last time either of you had to manually, you know, manage memory. Well, yeah, yeah nineteen ninety nine. Have Have you ever done it? <laughs> oh yeah, I like, have. I I did my best to construct and destruct. <laughs> okay, okay. So so you've done it. You've done it. Um, and have you ever had to spend like any significant amount of time living without uh, garbage collection? No, I've always enjoyed garbage collection, even back in Quick Basic, except in C plus plus. You know, when I yeah. did some of that, but. So you're talking C++ raw metal development. This is actually not C++. Okay. This is a strange, weird, uh, I mean, of course, only Apple could do this. Um, 
It's a language called Objective-C. And, oh, right, yeah. And in a lot of ways, like, it's the one that I wish had really taken hold because C++ to me is just the biggest disgusting cluster nightmare of a language ever invented, aside from the ones that were intended to be that way for fun, for jokes, for gags, right? Like, C++ is ugly. So I had heard of, I've heard of Objective-C, of course, but I'm be, not being a Mac guy and not being even close to a Mac programmer guy. I have no idea what the experience is like, except for some anecdotes that I hear from time to time. But all, all I seem to hear is pain you know, well, from the Microsoft people. Who Okay, I was just going to say, right, like you said, all you hear is pain. I'm like, you're not talking to Objective-C developers because you talk to a seasoned Objective-C developer who is probably someone who's not spent a lot of time outside of Objective-C land. Like they've been doing Apple development for years. They're convinced that they are in like coding Nirvana, right? Like this is... yeah. This is like where everybody needs to be. This is the good place to be, not having any idea that there's this thing out there called .NET, which is so vastly superior. But they've got this really, really looking down their nose at you attitude about the superiority of their amazing Objective-C. And uh, uh, any attempt to counter that results in a terrible flame war that you will lose, right? Because you're all alone, stumbling in there from Microsoft land. And uh, the, the truth is, and I've been mentioning this a bit here and there, are you guys familiar with Stockholm Syndrome? Oh, yes. Uh, okay, refresh so my memory. I've heard the term. Basically, it's, uh, it describes what happens when you fall in love with your kidnapper, right? Oh, you, right. You, 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 or, your, or your aggressor. Your master, and it, yeah, the slaves sort of, uh, sort of uh, idolizing their masters and things like that. Well, partly the reason you do it is that if you can sympathize with your aggressor, then you feel like you're not a victim, you know, like you're kind of in control. Okay, so Objective C... Uh, like there's just legions of people out there who are currently suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. Like if you talk to someone who codes in Objective-C and they're like, oh God, I love it. It's a modern this and that language and it's amazing and it, you know, it has manual memory management. It's just everything you could ever dream of, you know, Stockholm Syndrome, right? This so, is somebody who is suffering. So let me ask you a couple of questions. First of all, uh, I, I assume there's no sort of framework because of the way that you say you have to do memory management yourself, but there has to be some graphics primitives or libraries for doing graphics because obviously the stuff that's on the iPhone is really slick. Yeah. So actually the one thing that's probably kept this stuff going for so long is that there is a framework and it's not bad. There's some ugliness in it, but it's not bad. And on the desktop, it's called Coco. Um, and it is literally as old as Max Hedrum and New Coke. That's how long this stuff has been around. Um, it appeared first on Next. Remember uh, Steve Jobs... Uh, a little project after he got fired by the yeah. people he hired to manage Apple. Yeah. Um, so he started Next, and he created Next Step. Well, he didn't create it, but you know what I'm talking about. He did in that Steve Jobs way where he found it and was like, oh, this is great. And, uh, and Next Step was built around this technology. that It was all Objective-C. It was all Cocoa, or at least mostly, I should say. And, uh, and it was this modern, object-oriented desktop programming environment back in maybe 86, 87, whenever it was. And... Uh, and one of the things they did is they created this great framework. Well, great at the time, pretty good now. And for the iPhone, they didn't exactly port Cocoa. There's a lot of Cocoa in there, but they also have iPhone-specific APIs that have names like UIKit, um, AppKit, that are modeled in a lot of ways off of Cocoa. And you can actually tell, really, like what land you're in because all Cocoa libraries and API calls have... The, the prefix NS, standing for next step. Like, that is how ancient this stuff is. Uh, it is old, okay? Now, does Coco have memory management? 
Lococo is just the framework. So Objective-C is, uh, is the language that is lacking and, well, it's lacking on the iPhone. Um, they just came out with Objective-C 2.0, okay? So and the amount of time that it took me to go from elementary school to middle school to dropping out of high school to dropping out of college to moving to Paris to moving to London to, you know, getting engaged and disengaged and having these big relationships on at Rocks Microsoft... Apple managed to come out with version two of Objective C, okay, <laughs> and uh, and and they added like properties and garbage collection. Wow! Um, <laughs> you would not believe how happy though they are oh, about yeah. this. Uh, they think they invented it, right? I'm looking like, at it now, and so, uh, in a in a developer guide, NS array. So everything yeah, has NS an array. NS prefix, NS array for next step. Yep, that's what the NS stands for, and. Uh, and even the tools up until a couple of years ago were just like skin ports of the same development tools going back again to like 1942, right? Like they were not new, fresh tools, really. They've mm. since come out with something called Xcode, which is a little bit fresher and nicer. Um, they're sticking with something called Interface Builder, which is what you use to make UIs, but it will just, it'll have you weeping and confused and in the corner alone, naked, crying within seconds of you're having fired it up, I guarantee it. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so Coco is like where all the heavy lifting is done, just like with .NET, you know, okay. or with Java, right? Like you take Java and separate it from its framework and it's just, it's nothing, you know, and you take C sharp, which is a beautiful language and you separate it from the framework and it's nothing. Everything happens in the framework, right? And, uh, it's pretty much the same way with objective C you have the language and you just use it to drive the framework. Do they and, give uh, all the tools away at least? Well, yeah. But it's one of those you get what you pay for things. Um, like, you get, you get the tools for free, and you get the iPhone SDK for free. You have to sign up for basically to receive a bunch of privacy information and NDA-style things you gotta, you got to agree to. And okay. then you download your bits. And at that point, you can fire up the development environment. And you, can, you can write iPhone apps, but only for the iPhone simulator, which is running on the desktop. So it's not an emulator, right? It's a simulator. It just kind of reflects what it's going to be once you get it onto the phone. But you remember the old days? Didn't we used to have in the Windows world? Uh, didn't used to be simulators for the mobile for mobility? Yeah, 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 yeah. We had WinCE, yeah, just compiled for uh, x86, right? Yeah, but you'd have like a a, a, a smartphone uh, simulator, and you'd have the touchscreen simulator, and you could try out all the different features and it sort of worked you know you still definitely you'd go from there to compile onto the actual phone and and it'd be a surprise <laughs> yeah surprise system does not implemented exception that would right. be a surprise <laughs> what is xcode okay xcode is the ide just for coding okay it look, it's not like visual studio where it's all integrated it looks like itunes which is, it looks like itunes <laughs> well that's probably just because it's running on the mac and everything that runs on the mac looks like, looks like everything else running on the mac yeah um, they're big on uh, visual consistency, and um, so Xcode. It's um, it's where they're trying to get things like code completion working and uh, refactoring working. They finally got refactoring working uh, in one of the latest betas. So I can now like rename a method name and have it be renamed mostly correctly elsewhere, um, which is a very exciting thing in the Apple development world. And I know I'm crapping on it here, but. Seriously, like this stuff is arcane, it's ancient, it's, it's difficult. 
So you got to be a real bit head in order to do iPhone development. How come they look so good then? I mean, where is the art coming from? Where's the style coming from? Okay, now that is an excellent question. And that is like one of the things that Apple excels at. Uh, if you want to do iPhone development and if you want to get your apps approved so that they can be sold or given away in the App Store, you have to do everything according to the set of guidelines. Okay, like Objective-C and its associated frameworks are voodoo. They're just strange magic voodoo. And there's so much going on that you don't know about. There are no like rules. There are just like suggestions. And so in the Apple world, you read a lot of documentation that says, do this, don't do this. If you're going to stick like a button on the screen, then stick it on the screen like this, you know, which is totally different from the Microsoft world where they basically gave us tools powerful enough to build desktop apps for the phone, right? Like if you really wanted to, you could lay out a form with buttons the way you would on a desktop and with text boxes and everything. And uh, the flexibility is insane. With the iPhone, they actually designed the framework and limited the framework in ways such that, you know, you'd almost have to try to... Uh, to do something really wrong. A lot of people make horrible mistakes. Most iPhone apps are really garbage, um, at least insofar as the way that they were coded and designed. But they're still functional because Apple goes so far out of its way to like force you to do things in the way that they think is right. So when you're, if you happen to be using Interface Builder, which is the GUI uh, design tool, you'll have like, you know, you got Snap too. You've got these guidelines that... Uh, that show up and let you know when everything's lined up properly, when it's, it's like this aesthetic sensor that just knows when things are apple and feel good. <laughs> and, little uh, apple gets a smile on its face when you get it right? Yeah, it's like, thank you. Uh, you know, it's, it's very, very, very Apple. And for that. anyone but, who uh, wants to see the quick start guide for creating an iPhone app, which shows you how to do a hello world with uh, these tools, shrinkster.com slash 16Z0. Z zero one six Z zero, and and once you get that, you know, once you work your way through that, you will have learned just enough to be at the point where you're like, do I really want to do iPhone development? I I particularly like the directive at synthesize window. Yeah, see, that's a that's a, an Objective C two O feature. Synthesize is the directive that's used to tell uh, the compiler to generate your getters and setters for. Um, for a property that you've declared. Um, because getters and setters in the Objective-C world are kind of weird. Because of the manual memory management, which is all based on reference counting, uh, when you wrote your getters and setters in Objective-C 1, you know, for the first, like, five decades that that's all anybody was using, um, you had to think about, like, how the object was going to be used, how the value was going to be used, and how long it was going to live. And you think about things in terms of like ownership and it's almost like game programming and that you want to scope things in such a way that you're going to be creating and destroying like as rarely as possible and trying to reduce the number of, I would say like, uh, you know, objects wanting to use other objects to use like Apple terms. They talk a lot about wanting. It's kind of gross, but uh, <laughs> you, you, you had to, you had to write code that would, that would, Know, free up like a previous uh, instance or, or that would say, I no longer need to use this previous instance, now give me the new one, and it's really tedious stuff. And so Synthesize writes that stuff for you. Not necessarily as I've described it because there are different attributes you can provide to the property uh, directive, um, some of which will indicate that you want it to manually uh, handle that memory management for you, some of which will just be a simple assignment where 
you know, you just get the pointer and you use it. Um, sometimes the value is copied over, like in the case of strings, where you've got this immutable value that, you know, you just just freaking copy the thing. Um, so it varies, but synthesize is there to create those properties for you. Looking at the iPhone development fact, do Objective-C properties need to be backed up by instance variables or accessor methods for them to work? The answer is yes. What's that all about? Yeah. Well, on the iPhone, um, that's true. Like, what you're going to be doing in the header file, and yeah, I said header file. I said header file. I did. Okay. Um, in your header file, where you're, where you're describing the interface, you'll see the interface uh, directive in there. Um, you declare your local instance variables. Do you mean user interface or interface interface? Um, interface like API interface. Okay. And uh, so you'll have like, you know, your, if you were going to do a customer class, you'd be specifying your local variables for name, age. Actually, I don't know if you're allowed to, yeah, age, yeah. address, whatever. And, uh, and then in that same file, you create the properties. So you use the property directive to specify a property. And oftentimes, just at a convention, you're going to name the property the same as the local variable. And when you do that, uh, then in the implementation file, um, so not the header file, but the implementation file, where all your actual real code goes, you would synthesize uh, and you would enter the name of the property that you declared. And it will automatically create getters and setters that you'll never see. They'll create getters and setters that will assign values to the local variable that corresponds to the property name. And you can change, you can specify the name of the local variable you want a property to work with. But by default, it's easy. It's just to have a local variable that is the same name as the property you're declaring. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who bring you this message. One of the drawbacks of using third-party tools is that you have to deal with numerous vendors. So say goodbye to consistent quality and service level. Fortunately, that's not always the case. Our friends at Telerik, for example, are a true one-stop shop for .NET. They recently rolled out their Q1 release, which is just packed with good stuff. Start with Silverlight, an incredible grid, chart, editor, and everything else. A whole suite. A 3D chart, yes, 3D in Silverlight, is coming soon as well. The traditionally strong ASP.NET AJAX suite got even cooler. New controls, Visual Studio extensions for quick project kickstarts, new examples and skins, you name it. And how about web testing? Yep, Telerik is now offering a powerful solution for automated testing of modern AJAX applications. It's called Web UI Test Studio and is developed in partnership with Art of Test. Then comes reporting, WPF, WinForms, but I'm running out of time. So just go to www.telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com, and be amazed. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. The thought must have crossed your mind while you were doing all this that you should probably spend less time practicing how to write this code and trying to instead write some sort of translator from C-sharp. To, uh, <laughs> uh, but it sounds like from what you've said so far, it, it wouldn't necessarily work because these objects are reference counted and and you have a disposable, memory manageable you know, garbage collector in C-sharp and you don't have that. Yeah. So there's just a yeah. lot of stuff that has to be done manually and it has to be done in a custom way. It doesn't sound like there's anything that you could generate generically that would just one size fits all. Well, you'd think there would be, right? Like I was you having would. a talk with, with, with Nick here about um, the reference counting. And the talk we were having was, you know, like each 
object here knows how many times it's being retained. Um, and retaining, like for those of you who aren't in this world because you left it in 1986, like retaining is when you say you, you, you get an object and you might have to retain it. That increases its retain count, which is a number that's used to keep track of how many objects are using it. Once that uh, amount reaches zero because it's been released by those objects once they're done with it, it'll be, uh, it'll be deallocated and, you know, freed back into the, into the big waste sea of little ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, wait, what was your question? Come on, Crown. What was your question? <laughs> well, you would think that there'd be some way to translate between C sharp and, oh. and, and I think, and I thought that, well, that'd be very difficult because you've got reference counting and in Objective C yeah. and you don't on the iPhone, you'd have to write your own garbage collector or just not do it. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? It's, it's so close, right? That, I guess that's what I'm getting at here is that yeah. there's information that's being kept around that says, Hey, I actually have a pretty good idea of how many things are retaining me. And, uh, and, it, and it's, you know, like the system kind of knows about it to an extent. And, uh, and I was like, there's no, there's just no garbage collector, but they're so close. And then Nick says, yeah, it's kind of like there's a garbage inspector. <laughs> but this thing is just not really. You have garbage a, <laughs> now. Do something about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you get a low memory warning, and uh, and 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 that's what you get. Yeah, you know, um, that might explain why Safari on the iPhone just likes to evaporate once in a while. It does. That's it exactly does. what's going on, actually. Uh, so. First off, um, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, and especially coming from Windows Mobile World, where you have so much freedom, on the iPhone, unless you're Apple, you can only have one process running at a time. Okay, so as an app developer, you cannot kick off another process, or you cannot actually have your app remain uh, in memory while somebody's using another third-party app. Okay, the only time your app is running is when you're looking at it and interacting with it. Otherwise, it's off. That's right. It's not being yeah. Doesn't it store its state somewhere between when you switch from app to app? Oh, we wish. Okay, so that's another thing in the Apple guidelines. Um, they tell you that you have to store the state of your app, right? Like, and they tell you to do it like down to the pixel, like down to the level uh, that you know scroll bar has been moved down to the screen. But mm -hmm. they provide nothing for you to do this, right? So you wind mm -hmm. up um, using what is actually a pretty cool system uh, based behind uh, uh, something called NS coding. It's, you're, you know, it's, uh, they use different words for everything in Apple land, but uh, to us in the, in the .NET world, we just look at it pretty much as serialization of yeah. our objects, right? And, uh, and as long as you're working with the class that implements the NS coding protocol, which is, is kind of confusing. Um, in the .NET world, a uh, an Objective-C protocol is kind of the same thing as a as a .NET interface, right? So here's the calls you have to implement if you uh, implement this interface. In Objective-C land, that's called a protocol. So if you, if, you, if you conform to implement the NS coding protocol, then these methods you implement get called automatically that allow you to uh, store whatever information you need to um, as your app is being shut down so that when you fire it back up again, it'll... I was going to say automatically, but it, it's it's not automatic. Um, you can manually, magically, um, hopefully, recreate the experience right down to where the user left off or where a phone call interrupted the but app. But the key is, it's up to you. Oh yeah, yeah. They tell you you have to do it, but they do not tell you like what to do. And they give you a few little minor starting points that are totally insufficient. 
um, for getting it done. I thought that was kind of lame. Do you have a file system available to you? Can you just write you up to a file and read it back in? Sort of, right? The, the, the issue here is that, um, you know, talking about frameworks, for example, there are only a few different kinds of iPhone apps, really, when you get down to it. And when you move the strange, thing, strange things out of the way, like games and maybe scientific apps, you're left with regular apps. And they tend to be built around navigational concepts. Like you'll have a tab bar based app, you know, like that's the foundation for how your app is navigated. Or you'll have a navigation, what they call a navigation based app. And that involves this set of uh, view controllers. So they've got the model view controller uh, uh, pattern going on. And you keep all your logic in view controllers. And there's a special view controller called a navigation controller. And it lets you push what would be the equivalent, I guess, of new windows onto this stack. Um, so that you're kind of navigating deeper and deeper and deeper into your app, uh, they've got this bit that keeps track of where you are in the app and what screens it would need to pop to return you to the place you started. So when you're serializing this stuff out, when you're saving it, you actually have to, uh, you got to save that. You actually, you got to figure out like the best way to try and save where you are in that, in that stack, you know, and Hmm. it's insane. Hmm. And when you're firing it back up, and you're reconstituting things, you have to, you'll have some funny logic in there where you're going to have to manually push those screens back onto the stack, and you're going to have to set their state appropriately according to what it was when the user left. It is a lot of work. It's, it's cuckoo. It's, it's, it's crazy. So get this. I had a friend who was a Mac user, and he decided he wanted to be a Mac programmer. So he takes a, a class in, in Mac programming, and uh, one day he asked me, if he could ask me a few questions. And I said, well, I'm not a Mac guy. I don't know anything about programming on the Mac. And he says, no, no, they're pretty basic questions. And I'm like, all right, shoot. So we go out for coffee, and he goes, I don't get the concept of files. What, what's a file? Oh, boy. Wow. Now, this guy was had been using a Mac for a long, long time, and he sort of had a programmer, programmer mind. But it just underscored, and I don't, I'm not trying to pick on him saying he was an idiot because he was a new programmer. But, yeah. you know, the fact is is that, you know, the concept of files is completely hidden from the Mac user. I mean, everything's like a document or a, or a something else. Like they have different names for different types of files. And there isn't a sort of a ubiquitous, I don't know, maybe I guess there is now, but back then there there's wasn't. there's some weirdness but yeah i mean you're you're on the right track it was just kind of strange you know they i've been ever since my trs80 i knew what a file was yeah well like even even in in os10 nowadays uh like if you're accessing things through a terminal window through a shell like life looks pretty normal yeah. right like you see files and you get yeah. it um right. but when you're using finder which is like the equivalent of windows explorer right uh, you'll find that apps are actually these things called bundles. Mm. And a bundle is really just a folder that contains some metadata that says, hey, make me look like an app in right. the Finder window, um, which gets to be a real pain in the ass because when you try to like add a, an, a bundle as an email attachment, for example, mm. um, you can have some really big problems. Like GarageBand actually stores uh, your songs as bundles. And so... You can't just like share a GarageBand song because you're sharing like a big chunk of your file system. Um, so there's some really weird stuff that that does go on. Um, and yeah, I can understand why this guy would have been confused. Hmm. 
You know, besides the Objective C approach to building uh, iPhone apps, there's, there looks like there's a couple other things going on there. Have you looked at PhoneGap? Um, well, first off, are you, are you talking about for jailbroken phones? Because that's the only other way, really, that you could be. If if you're using a sentence where you're like, "What about alternatives to Objective C?" Then you're talking probably about like a jailbroken. Has to be jailbroken. Yeah. Um, yeah well, you, I mean, PhoneGap was all about cross-platform development, but and now that now Miguel Diaz has come out and said, "Hey, we've got a way to compile apps." from C-sharp into iPhone, and they're on the App Store now, which to me doesn't sound like jailbroken. What? That, um, that is, that's very him. But that's also like, wow, I did not know about that. Hmm. I had no idea about that. Well, I yeah. don't Typical Miguel like, Diacaza, right? Turns the whole problem well, yeah, on his head. That's like more magical than the magical stuff I've been working with. Like, <laughs> what's, it, what's it called? Uh... The uh, the technology from uh, Mono is called uh, ahead of time compilation, and it's just a mm-hmm. uh, it's just a feature of the runtime for Mono, right? So that implements C sharp three generics, all that good stuff. But one of the options when you do AOT is you can compile to the iPhone. What? This is lies. You you stole my job as co-host, and now you lie, Richard Campbell. <laughs> I can't say that I've done it. I'm just reading about it and going, huh, look at this. Um, I'm sorry. So you were going to, so this is just like a, a feature of the mono compiler? The, um, yeah, there's a new version of the compiler that has this thing called AOT, the, uh, the advanced compilation option, right? Ahead of time compilation, AOT. And uh, yeah, apparently one of the capabilities it'll have is to be able to compile to other platforms like that. And they're talking about making it work for the iPhone. And, and according to the press release, I'm just reading a press release here. The CAS is saying, hey, there's already apps that have been written in mono that are running on the iPhone that are in the App Store. Whoa. Holy crap. That's crazy. That, um, well, they must have. I wonder if they rec- I wonder if they created like a, like a .NET wrapper. Well, or the, this uh, gets, but this gets back to the core question of how much control does Apple actually have? If you just send them the compiled app, how could they know how you built it? Here we go. Here's the answer. Right. Mono dot, mono-project.com slash mono colon iPhone says the mono, col- the mono runtime has been ported to the iPhone OS and a commercial port is available for iPhone developers. Notice at this point, a significant amount of cross-compilation is required. This is far from easy. Two, no iPhone APIs have been exposed, so you get the very mm. basic function. Unity Technologies today is shipping Mono with their Unity gaming platform. This is the easiest and fastest path to use Mono on the iPhone. Check it out at unity3d.com. Both the Mono Runtime and the Mono C Sharp compiler are available under proprietary license for those who cannot or choose not to use LGPL and GPL code in their projects. Mm. That's, so it uh... sounds like yes, but. <laughs> Isn't that always the well, case? Well, the, the, like what I'm thinking about here is that one of the reasons that, like, we're also dependent on Xcode and Apple and all that is that there's some special behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on to, uh, like, even just get your app onto your own device. Um, that's like a magic thing that goes on. So I guess if these guys had a way of creating the uh, creating the binary and hoping <laughs> and not actually testing and shipping it off to Apple with the appropriate uh, metadata, then yeah, maybe they would publish it. Or uh, I guess evidently they have published them. Um, so I guess there's ways to do it. That's just, uh, that's wow. Yeah, that's um, wow. 
there, there's no, let me say that, okay, there's no directly supported or Apple-endorsed way of writing apps for the iPhone using anything but Objective-C and the frameworks they provide. Right. Um, and, God, I want to see this stuff now. <laughs> I want to see I'm sorry, I didn't mean to distract you. <laughs> oh, oh, and I want to say, actually, I want to say as well, because I mentioned getting the app on your phone, and this is something that will probably drive Windows Mobile developers crazy. Um, you have to pay to be able to get your app on your own phone for testing. Really? Yeah, you have to you have to sign up for an iPhone developer account, and it's only ninety nine bucks, and it lasts a year, and that also gives you access to the uh, to submitting to iTunes. At least I'm pretty sure it gets you that. Like, don't anybody quote me on this because Apple, I think, you know, they get all uptight about numbers and lies and stuff. But I'm pretty sure that that's what it lets you do, and that seems like a real jip because you're thinking, man, like in the Windows world, I just you know deploy, and there we go. But uh, you got the tools for free. You got the IDE for free. You get the GUI builder for free. You get the SDK for free. In the end, like, what's 99 bucks, really? So it's kind of a pain, and it kind of sucks, and it does make you feel jipped if you're a Windows Mobile developer. But, uh, but yeah, you do not, by default, get to deploy to your own phone. Yeah, and that's, that, and that's the one that gets you. It's your own phone. I'm not trying to give it to anybody. I'm just trying to test. But for yeah. $100 a year, that, you can't get too anxious. Well, and it's also, like, if, if you look at the Apple world, right, I, I think they do this on purpose. I actually believe that one of the reasons they're making Objective-C, like, the only language you can use, aside from the technical difficulty of incorporating others, because on the desktop, you can use, like, Ruby and Python, and they had great Java bindings for a while. You could, you could use all sorts of stuff, right? Like, they could make this happen, and they could, they could make garbage collection happen on the iPhone, okay? And hopefully they will. I've heard they will, but... But I think they do this to keep uh, to keep the numbers down, keep the riffraff right? like out. Yeah, if, well, if, that's if sort you of a built-in filter, right? Yeah, if you, if you look at the Windows world over the years, like back in the day, freeware and shareware was great because it was actually pretty high quality at the time, and there was not tons of it. You know, even without Google, you could find something that was good that you wanted, and right. uh, and it was worth paying for, but. Over the years, it just got so easy that everybody in the universe was writing and releasing software for Windows, and you had so much uh, duplication of effort and so many poor implementations of so many things that wound up taking off. You know, we often saw, like, the worst implementation of a solution becoming the most popular, and, and that's one thing that happens when you've got multiple overlapping approaches to the same problem. So in the Apple world, they, yeah, the riffraff, they kind of try to keep people out. They set a bar that, uh, you know, you got to really want to develop for this stuff. You have to figure out Objective-C. You have to learn to live with man, uh, manual memory management. You've got to work with these janky tools. You've got you've to go through this insanely, you know, like certificate profile metadata-driven process to get your app even submitted for consideration in the App Store, where it then goes into this strange black box that nobody understands anything about what goes on in there, and maybe gets spat out the other end in the App Store, which right now is like this monolithic, just, you know, they need some Google in there, right? You go to the App Store, you're looking for something, and you'll say like, hey, I want to get a productivity application. And you'll be presented with like 80,000 uh, apps and no efficient way to organize them, to filter them, to page through them. You just got to go through and look at the icons and think, do I, do I like that icon? Is that icon, do I think... That's a good app with that icon. Wait, wait a second, Rory. Think about what you just finished saying. We're talking about Apple keeping the riffraff out to so the apps don't get out of control. And then we get to the App Store. And I'm with you. I've been there. The apps are out of control. Yeah. 
and, and, and it says one of several things, right? One, maybe they did not expect things to, to get this way because they were used to uh, the desktop world where there really just was not that much activity, right? Until, until you had a lot of open source free projects. You had to pay for like an FTP client on, uh, you know, on the Apple if you wanted something good or a news group reader. Like you had to pay. And I'm talking about just a couple of years ago, you would still be paying. And even now, if you want something really good, you will pay. You're not going to find a lot of freeware stuff a lot of the time. Um, and I just don't think they expected it. And so they're just overwhelmed with this system that was not designed to handle the number of apps that are in there. Definitely not discoverable. Not easy to find what you want. Right. And, uh, and really, like what determines the popularity of an app, whether it's going to succeed is, for once, time to market actually really matters much, much, much more than the quality of the product. But And isn't time to market already gone by now? I mean, there's so many apps already in the, the app store. Well, that, that's the thing. You have some team, and by that I mean one guy in his basement, you know, Saskatchewan, who wrote an app and put it out there, and it's like garbage, but everybody's been downloading it and buying it, so its numbers are huge. Right. And because of that, it might appear in some most popular app list or something like that. And all the, uh, you know, at the same time, there's a company out there that may be developing like a really good version of that same app that will never get seen because it's going to be buried at the bottom of this overwhelming pile of trash, right? So it's tough. You know, if you really want to write a good app and if you really want to make money selling it in the app store, you're going to have to be ready to work your ass off to market it, promote it. And well, and I think the, yeah, and the other side of this is that gold rush or, or lottery mentality is that there's a half a dozen stories out there of guys who in their basement wrote a little app and threw it up and have now quit their day jobs. And now everybody wants that. Unfortunately, that's true. Unfortunately, because that's where iFart came from. Right. Um, uh, what's that? On, 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 the, on the phone, Carl, and this is really unfortunate. Okay, there say is, no more. It's an app, no, no, I fart, okay. There is a whole like subculture of flatulent simulation applications for the phone. The number one app listed right now on the App Store is the Moron Test. Yeah, the Moron Test. 99 cents. Really stupid little games and really stupid little party tricks and novelties just sell like crazy on there, <clears throat> which is sort of demoralizing for people who are writing good software. But Apple is hopefully going to change this. And I always thought that they should come out with something that's like the garage sale, you know, section and like maybe the market bazaar section and then the actual good software section. Yeah, how about the stupid crap section? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like the, 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 the dollar store, the, the grab bag section, you know? Well, I think the other side of this is that they've created a culture of dollar app so that who would spend $20 on an app then? Well, and that's the frustrating thing is that, like for consumers, that first price that they encounter is often the one that's going to stick in their heads. Like my grandpa for the past 20 years has been complaining about the price of milk, right? It goes up two cents a gallon and he flips. Like grandpa cannot handle milk getting more expensive. And in the app store, you've got all these 99 cent apps and somebody puts something out for four bucks and people just whine about it. Hey, Carl, like you, Mr. Music Guy, you would love this. So on my phone right now, I have a four track. You know, it, it works. It's awesome. I can use it anywhere. And I also have this thing called Guitar Toolkit. It, it, it has a built-in tuner um, for alternate tunings. It has uh, chord charts. You can actually, like, play a little mini guitar in there to hear what a chord is going to sound like before you wow. even attempt to finger it. Uh, it. It shows you scales from all these bizarre, weird modes. Like, it's an amazing app. It's 10 bucks. Wow. And in, in the Apple world, in the, in the App Store world, 
that's just unacceptable, right? So you have people doing such amazing work that might go unnoticed or might remain just at the bottom of the pile because it's quality, right? And because somebody's charging the appropriate price for it. Right. Because their expectations have been set. They paid 99 cents for a flatulence app, and now they don't want to pay 10 bucks for a multi-track recording studio in their pocket. Mm, yeah. So it's, that part's pretty messed up. The other aspect of the market that I think is interesting is a awful lot of companies building extensions to their apps in the iPhone, where the app is basically free. They're giving it away just so that you'll use it to go somewhere else. I mean, People Magazine's got an app, and you know, there's an interesting culture going on here that they're finding other ways to to utilize the sheer volume of iPhones. Well, that's actually that's really what we've been specializing in. I'm not allowed to talk about the clients we've got right now. Um, Bell.com was really big, right? Um, I think, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's well over 300,000 people are using that app right now. And uh, it got the company some attention and we got some contracts with, I mean, you guys have been to these, you know, you've, you've interacted with these companies. I guarantee it. Okay. Some of them on a daily basis. Like we are doing some really freaky big stuff here. Okay. And a lot of them turn out to be like apps that are there so that you have your footprint in the in the iPhone world, right? right? You aren't necessarily looking to make to actually directly generate income uh, from this. It's almost like my job at Microsoft, which was to go around and give talks from town to town. It was just about increasing uh, mindshare, right? And uh, and a lot of these apps are basically ads for the company. They provide you with something useful, like they're great and you want to use them, but there are also vehicles for increasing awareness of the company, the client, and a lot of them also host ads. And if the company's big enough, like they can actually make some money from the ads and do pretty well. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of companies, People Magazine, you know, you just mentioned a lot of the really big companies aren't looking to try to cash in in the same way that the people making the Whoopee Cushion app are. You know, they've got a different <laughs> agenda. It, it's almost like it's almost like they're spending money on a commercial, really. Yeah, or you know, extending the, the FedEx has a client, a free client for letting you know when your packages got delivered. Yeah, it, it's just you could do that on their website. Now you can do it in your iPhone. Yeah, and and a lot of companies are actually taking what they do and they're splitting it out over multiple apps, right? So you might have some rather large company that provides several different services, and they could they could put it all in one app, but they'll put it out in several apps to, you know, again like increase. Uh, exposure of their company it's just about visibility yeah and and for them i, I think it's fantastic right i mean that the stuff's useful it doesn't cost you anything it gets the company what it wants it gets you what you want like those apps are great that's what we do at spotlight mobile by the way spotlightmobile.com so rory when you go speak at code camps and stuff and you talk about iphone development what do you what's the takeaway materials i mean what do you give people like a how a step-by-step how-to resource list or do you give away tips or do you show the weirdness, what, what do you do? Well, I'm actually just learning how to do that, right? Because, <laughs> oh my God, I mean, think about this interview so far, right? There's so much land to cover. There's so much territory in this world that is, you'd think being a dev, you could just walk right into it and, and get it. But not only are there like different words for everything, but there are different concepts and things that you just don't do in the Microsoft land. And you realize then just how daunting and difficult the task is of communicating to people like what they're going to have to do to learn, not just from the ground up, but how to go from being like a Java dev or a .NET dev to being an iPhone dev or an Apple dev. And uh, the first talk that I've given, 
on iPhone development was on Saturday at the Portland Code Camp. And in part, I think I'm used to having the four hours of an MSDN event that I used to have when I gave my talks. But also, there's so much material that I got maybe halfway through my talk in an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half. And uh, the reason, and, and you know, this kind of sucks, but uh, you have to provide people with context or else they're not going to get what you're doing on screen because Objective-C syntax is weird. It's built around this weird square bracket uh, enclosure syntax that allows for, it, it tells the compiler, hey, this is some object Objective-C statement. We're sending a message uh, to a receiver that is going to dispatch. I mean, they have all these funny words for stuff. You can't just say, I've got an object and I'm calling a method on it. You know, you, everything's different and weird. So you've got to provide people with context. And that means an initial session that is part history and part um, just introducing people to the vocabulary so that they'll have a frame of reference for it when you're coding up there and you're referring to one of these things. Or if they see the synthesized directive, like, what the hell does that mean? You know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so the way I see it, the way it's going to have to be done in the takeaways is it has to be done split over several sessions. I see an initial hour of giving people background and context and vocabulary and concepts. And then from there, you can start showing them the tools and walking them through some code. And then from there, you can introduce Interface Builder, the GUI tool, which is so like, oh my God, like it's so, so confusing that the first time I was trying to teach somebody anything about it, I just shut the thing down and wound up manually editing the XML representation of the GUI behind the scenes, which despite it's being nothing but weird, long reference UIs in this total eight gigabyte mess of, of XML was easier than doing it in Interface Builder itself. Um, I get it now. Do you think the net effect of this presentation is going to be, you know, consider yourself lucky to have all these tools <laughs> that you have? Or do you think uh, people will actually be interested in going to check it out to write for the iPhone? It's both. In fact, uh, during the talk, one of the things I called out was, my God, people, and I said at the beginning of this, too, like, we have been spoiled by Microsoft and the quality of tools that they charge us for. They are worth every penny, right? And, uh, yeah. uh, but I also got email. Um, like, one guy wrote to me. He was saying, you know, you didn't get through your talk, and you made Objective-C sound like the worst language ever made. But now I really want to get an Apple and an iPhone. And I'm thinking about selling all my Windows stuff, and I'm just hoping my wife doesn't get mad at me for doing this. Um, when she sees how expensive the power, the, the, the MacBook is going to cost to do this. Um, so I think people are attracted to it in the same way that you know, like ladies are attracted to the bad guys, right? right. They, they they see a jerk and they want to get, you know, they want to sidle up next to him. And uh, there's an allure to it. There is a sexiness to the iPhone, and and you know, you kind of want to be a part of that. So people are willing to tolerate the pain, despite my warnings. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is tough. Um, but it seems the takeaway is people learn something about it. I'm really just trying to give them enough information so they can figure out if this is even something they want to learn more about, I guess. Yeah, okay. Well, um, uh, you can go to neapolian.com. Do you have a shrinksterized version of your blog post or just search for iPhone on the top of your blog, I guess? I, I haven't been writing much, so... Uh, yeah, if you go to my site right now, you're just going to see that uh, CodeCamp iPhone post. But in, in the coming weeks, um, I'm actually going to be posting the tutorials. Like, I'm going to be doing the talk, dividing it up into logical sections, and then posting them to my site, but also to SpotlightMobile.com, you know, where I work. 
uh, we're getting a new site up and we're going to be posting tutorials and articles there because there's no good stuff out there and we want to make all the good stuff. And, uh, and that's where it's going to go, mostly, spotlightmobile.com. So if you keep your eyes peeled for that over the next couple of weeks, you'll eventually start finding it. Awesome. And I'll reference it on my site, too. Rory, it's been fun catching up with you, man. And maybe you could, uh, Richard says you have an interest in coming on Mondays again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he wrote to me, and I had just been thinking about it. And, uh, uh, and he was like, hey, you know, you want to do a little spot on Mondays? And, well, as a matter of fact, I do want to do a little spot on Mondays. I mean, that'd be, I, I, I miss this stuff. That's what I learned in all my hippie soul searching. I really miss doing this stuff. Well, you know, um, we don't, we haven't published this yet, but we did a test shoot of a Monday's TV show. Really? We had a, a camera crew in the studio, and we made. I made a desk where the four of us sat, and with a you know a nice formica top and a, and a big Monday's across the front, and. Um, uh, we had some technical difficulties, which we're on the fence about whether to publish it or not. But it would be fun if you ever, are ever in the East Coast to uh, to come out and do that with us. I mean, um, Mark lives here now. He lives there. really. Yeah, he lives in Mystic. He and wow, Fran, he Mark lives in Mystic. He and Karen. Uh, oh wait, have a baby and they're getting married. Wait, are you are you talking about Mark Dunn? No, Mark Miller. Oh, Mark Miller. What? Yeah. <laughs> he and Mark Miller, uh, Karen and Mark Miller both got divorced and, uh, they got together. They had a love child and they're getting married and Mark Miller lives in mystic. Wait, Karen from the show. Yeah. 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 Mark Miller hooked up with Karen and yeah. they're having a baby yeah. and he lives in mystic. No, had a baby. Yeah. Had. Had a baby. That town is not big enough for Mark Miller. Okay. You need to go to <laughs> listen to mondays.pwop.com to listen to the story. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, congrats, Mark, if you're listening to this. Wow. And, you know, Karen, uh, my condolences. That's amazing. <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is, you know, they're both here. So we have three out of four live bodies to do uh, to do Mondays live. And even if not, we can do a, you know, we can we can set up a, a speakerphone with your cardboard cutout next to it. No, that'd be fun. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Rory. And uh, no, thank you guys. Get Get back to that blog, man. We enjoy it. Yeah, I'm going to start writing again. Life is getting back to normal. So. Awesome. Good to hear it. It's only taken two years. But, um, um, well, I'm, I love you guys, except for you, Richard, you job-stealing jerk. Uh, but <laughs> Carl, love you back, man. All right. Take care. Okay. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.